Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Chance to grab one of the blue Bibles in the back. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to just take a moment um, to pray. Um, I think I'm reverbing a little bit here. (laughs) Even just as we were finishing, I'm always wary of songs that declare promises, not wary because we shouldn't claim them or shouldn't believe them, but I think it's because we are afraid to claim them and we're afraid to believe them because our life circumstances doesn't seem to match the promise that we just sang My God, you're always going to be good. You don't know how to be anything but good. And then in my life, I feel like I experience anything but good. And so I just just want to, before we begin, I just want to just pray. Pray for anybody here who has come into this place feeling that way. So bow your heads, let's pray. And if you're not one of those people, then I would encourage you to pray for those in the room. Holy Spirit, you search us and you know us. We can hide nothing from you. So I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be honest and vulnerable with you right now. Jesus, Jesus, you honor the simple prayer of help me. You did it in the Gospels. Help us. Help any of us here who are just burdened and overwhelmed tonight. Would you lift that weight off their shoulders? Would you give them the courage to lay their burdens down, to take you at your word? Holy Spirit, give them strength and power to hold on to the promises that you have made for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So um, if you don't know this about me, I love basketball. All right. I love watching it. I love playing it. I love talking about it. I love talking to people about it. I love telling people why the Knicks you say they suck, but where's Miami at? All right, that's all I want to say. We're, uh, what, fourth in the East Conference? That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, let's go. Let's talk about basketball. See, now, while I love, while I love basketball, I'm not built for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm 5'5". Five five. 
okay? And if you're wondering, like, with shoes, without shoes, my doctor says I'm 5'5". That's what it says on my license. I am 5'5", okay? And that's what I'm going with. I love it, but I'm not built for basketball as much as I love playing for it. Now, now even when I play basketball, uh, you would imagine at 5'5", what, what, what do you think commonly happens to me as I go up? Well, I score, but if I'm not scoring, I'm getting blocked, all right? And it, and it just, and the more that it happens and the older I get, the more discouraged I get and the more I'm like, I don't need to play it. I can just watch it and it's fine. But now if you know Caleb Kareen, yeah. Oh gosh, that's how I feel all the time, Jeff. I'm, I'm telling you, that's your son. Uh, Caleb Kareen is a whole different story. You know, I don't know if you've all ever seen the movie White Men Can't Jump. It's with Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Language is certainly questionable, but nonetheless, um, the, the, the premise is that white men can jump. And that movie, believe it or not, was about Caleb Kareen. And uh, there's one time where Caleb and I went to LA Fitness together. I went to Koei. They have a court there. And, uh, and everyone's predominantly tall, like taller than me, right? Like everyone is certainly taller than I am. And, and, and the thing about when you go to these kind of, you know, you go to court, you go to the court, um, what happens is like, you know, they're playing, the next one goes on, but sometimes you get there and they just need a guy and they're like, now if, if Caleb and I walk on, who are you gonna invite to your team? You know what I'm saying? Like if Caleb was here, I'd ask him to stand up next to me and you'd see very easily, you're gonna pick Caleb Kareen, right? But Caleb's a nice guy. So he's like, nah, 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 nah. Like if you, if you guys want me, you gotta take my boy Caesar. And I'm like, whoa, I don't want that kind of pressure. You know, like I don't wanna be the reason why y'all lose. Like Caleb, it's okay. Like if, if I walked in and I had to choose between me and Caleb, I'm picking Caleb, you know? Like, so I'm like, no, it's okay. Now, the moral of that story is that we won the game because Caleb plays basketball really well, right? But here's the thing. I didn't score any points. So I was like, I don't want to play this anymore. I felt discouraged. I'm like, I, I, you know, I played safe. I didn't get blocked, but I didn't really do well. And so then, of course, when you win, you get to go again. And guess who didn't want to play anymore? Me. I didn't want to play anymore. Because, listen, there's, no matter who you talk to, the longer you feel like you're not good at something, the more likely you are to give up on it, right? Like no one likes doing something they're not good at or don't know how to do well, right? And I, like in my head, I'm Michael Jordan. In my body, I'm Caesar. Like no matter how much I want to play, like Mike, I can't. I don't know how to. And I, and I won't be able to, even if I could, know how to. Now, now we've been, we've been on a, in a sermon series on prayer and, and I recognize that as we endeavor to pray, you may feel just like that. Like, listen, like you have no idea what you're doing. It feels like no matter how much you try to pray, you don't do it well. And you, honestly, there are times where you're just like, I just don't feel like praying. Or maybe you have been trying to pray and you're like, man, I've, I've, you know, we, we, we've been in this series and I'm excited to try and, and learn how to pray, but no matter how much you seem to do it, there doesn't seem to feel like there's any fruit from it. And so you come on Thursdays, you come to the series and, you know, we encourage you to pray and we have time of prayer within our gathering, but it, it just makes the whole thing feel like a drag because you don't seem to be good at it. Now, when it comes to what we call at Mosaic rhythms of intimacy, like prayer and scripture reading and fasting, there is this subtle thought that can often cross your mind, which is this act of prayer, of fasting, of script, like it depends on me. 
Like I, like I have to muster up the strength. I have to muster up the discipline. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll watch and we'll ask other people on how to how to pray. Like how do you pray? Well, we'll, we'll we have our, we all have our TikTok pastors or you know our Instagram theologians. And you're like, how do you pray? And we and we look for their t- their perfect template because listen, like we we want to do it perf- perfectly. But it doesn't seem to match that way. No matter how much you intend to and want to, it, it seems like sometimes it doesn't match up to what you desire. I mean, this happens in my own life. Like, like if I wake up later than I intend to, which happens more often than I'd like to admit, I'm tempted to skip prayer. Because I'm like, you know, God deserves more than five minutes of my time. So I'm just not gonna pray, you know? Like, next I got tomorrow. Like, you know, God, it's all or nothing with God. Or, you know, if it's not quiet enough or if it's not aesthetic enough or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Suddenly we're not in the right vibe to pray. Or sometimes, you know, you just don't, I don't feel like praying. And so, you know, I'll go to, I'll start, I don't feel like it, but I'll start praying. And I know God knows what I'm thinking. And so I feel guilty and I'm like, God, I'm really sorry. I don't really feel like this, but here we are, and now we're gonna, for the next 10 minutes, hopefully you're not gonna smite me. I don't know, like, there's this weird shame that, like, like, listen, God doesn't desire for our prayer life to look like that. For it to feel like a drag, to make you feel guilty and shameful. But this approach to prayer extends to more than just prayer. It it extends to the general approach to the Christian life where we depend on ourselves and our abilities and our surroundings to try and do the Christian life perfectly, but it just feels like a drag. But tonight's passage provides us with an alternative approach to living the Christian life and to the prayer, into our life of prayer, one that is greater than dependence on ourselves or our external circumstances. So here in Romans, Paul is writing to the whom? Romans, the Christians in Rome. And they're trying to answer the question, like, like how do I live this Christian life? How do I participate in this life with God when my life isn't ideal? When the circumstances don't match that help me to actually practice the Christian life well? You see, these Christians that, that, uh, that Paul is writing to, um, they're fighting with one another, these Jewish Christians and, and these non-Jewish Christians with the Bible called Gentiles. And they're, and they're fighting each other and they're bickering and there's this tension. But there's also there's this tension between the, the, the church in Rome and the Roman Empire because Christians say Jesus is Lord, but the Romans say Caesar is Lord. Not me, some other guy. Caesar is Lord. And so now we have this fight, like, like who's Lord? Is it Jesus or is it Caesar? And honestly, in all circumstances, the answer is Jesus. Never me. It's never Caesar. Now there's also, the tension between the life found in Christ while simultaneously living in a world of death. I love how New Testament scholar Douglas Moo, like the cow, summarized the experience of the Christian life. Because as I read it, it just resonated and it felt real and raw. It'll be behind me. Here's what Moo says about the Christian life. It says, believers in this age of warfare between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan suffer and groan, but their groans are not the despairing cries of the hopeless. Rather, they are impatient yearnings for of those who have been saved in hope 
and they hunger for the glory that has been promised to them. Meaning, man, they have been saved by Jesus. They're living in the realities of the gospel, but they suffer through the realities of the brokenness in this world of the everyday life. And what they yearn for more than anything is to experience the fullness of Jesus in their lives. And as difficult as the Christian life may be at time, Paul wants us to know in tonight's passage that we have a hope today. Now let's read Romans 8.26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let's stop there. So there, in verse 26 as a whole, there are these two main emphases. There's the emphasis on our weakness and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit's help. Now, it's interesting that as Paul writes this, he says, whose weakness? Your weakness or our weakness? Our weakness. Now, what does that mean about Paul? That either he is weak or that he experiences weakness. But let me, let me just tell you about my boy, Paul, Okay. If you read Luke's account of Paul's life in the book of Acts, or if you read what Paul writes about his, his own Christian experience, the last thing that you would call Paul is weak. I mean, this man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he, was, he was the one who stepped toe-to-toe with Peter, the apostle Peter. Now, Peter was one of the inner three, the circle, the inner circle closest to Jesus. And he stepped toe-to-toe with the apostle Peter. And he says to Peter in the book of Acts, you're a hypocrite. You're not giving out the grace of God towards everyone the way Jesus did. And then look, look what he writes in Acts 16. And it, it like, it, I'm like, bro. Luke writes this encounter where this demon-possessed girl follows Paul in his group around for days and she's just yapping away. And just, just look, what, look, what Paul, look what Luke writes about Paul. Acts chapter 16, verse 18. Paul, having become greatly annoyed which just shows that you can be holy and annoyed. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to the girl and said to the spirit that's inside of her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This man's doing miracles because he's just ticked off. Like this man is a triple OG, original gangster for God. Like that's who he is. And then Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he describes what his life has looked like as he follows Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, it might be behind me, yes. Uh, Chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, he writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. The man's in danger, man. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, and through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, if that wasn't enough, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And despite this being Paul's experience as a Christian, he goes out and he continues to proclaim the gospel. He continues to preach the gospel and plant churches and encourage Christians and do miracles. If you heard this about Paul, would you still call him weak? No, I mean, I know I wouldn't. And yet Paul says, our weakness. 
He includes himself in the category of weakness. In fact, and later in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that Greek word that Paul uses for weak is the same that he uses in Romans 8, 26. So the question is, what does Paul mean? Why does he call himself weak? See, when Paul calls himself weak, he is speaking about the general weakness that is true for all of humanity, okay? It's a weakness of limitation. It's a weakness of capacity. It's a weakness that manifests itself as inability. I'm just gonna be frank here for a moment. Humanity at its core is weak. Humanity is limited. And you and those of us who are still in our 20s and maybe some of us who are in our 30s, you've already learned this. You will experience the limitation of failing to find a romantic partner. You, you face the limitation of keeping your friendships alive. You've, you face the limitation of how, how, how do I work a nine to five and still have the energy to like read I don't, and watch TV and, and pop culture and go to a Taylor Swift concert and all the things. I don't know. You face the limitations. And you will experience the limitation of not knowing what job to take or what city to move to. You will experience the limitation of trying to regulate your emotions when you lose a loved one or when your dreams are shattered. This is real life. Paul's talking to real people. And he's talking to you in your real circumstances. In your humanity, you are extremely weak. And, may, and, and much as we may try to endeavor to the best of our abilities to hide from that truth, you can't hide from your weakness any more than we can hide from humanity in the middle of July in Florida. Your weakness is the human condition. And Paul's response, right, it could end there, but Paul says, listen, the response to the weakness of our humanity is this. The spirit helps us in our weakness. So what, what, what Paul is saying is that like we need the help from the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the, the help of the Holy Spirit can only be a comfort to you and me though if the help of the Holy Spirit is greater, is of equal level or greater than the level of our need. And let me just tell you, the scriptures all over testify that the help that we get from the Spirit is greater than any need that we may have because the Spirit is infinitely powerful because the Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the, he's part of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Paul says... That, the, that God sends his spirit, that the spirit helps us in his weakness. It's not like Jesus is out here with some Jedi force power and says, help. No, the Holy Spirit is God. He is a person and his help is powerful, real, and tangible to meet you in your circumstances. Now the word that Paul uses for help is only four in the English, but in the Greek is 17 letters, which only means that, that Paul probably preached long, you know, like me. And so I feel like I'm found in good company. But the reason it's 17 letters, it's because there's three words combined into one. And the word, I couldn't even pronounce it if I wanted to, so I'm not going to try, but the word help refers to a very deep image. 
You see, sometimes we can, we can hear the word help and say, hey, hey can you help me? You know, you, you, you know if you're, most of you have moved at some point and you call a friend and like, hey, I could use some help moving. You know, I don't need you to do all of it. I can do 75, you can do 25. Or I just need someone to like help carry the couch up to the second floor. Like it's not too much, you know, it's like, it's a couch. It's two floors, it's two floors, you know? Like it's heavy. But Paul selects this word with such precision because that's not how Paul uses it. He's not saying, hey, 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 you need a little help? Like, I'm free on a Friday. You know, I got nothing better to do. You know, I lift a little, you lift a little. You know, when we get to the corner of the, of the stairwell, you call pivot, I call pivot. You know, like that. that's not what it is. When it says that the Holy Spirit helps us, the image it provides is, a, is the image of a person who cannot help themselves and requires someone to pick them up and their load up. So it's imagine this, it's like you got to carry a couch and you lay on the couch and you say, hey, help me. You're, you're doing nothing but laying there. And he says, that's the way the Holy Spirit helps you. That he literally takes your load and you and he picks you up and he sustains you. This is what the Holy Spirit does with us. He sees you in your weakness and he is not repulsed by your weakness. He's not driven by pity to help you, but because he loves you, he comes to you to pick you up, hold you up, sustain you and help carry the burdens that you have. Is this where you find yourself tonight? Yes. <sighs> Carrying a burden that is crushing you. And you're scared because you simply don't know what else to do. This is God's word for you tonight. I'm here to help you. And this is the continual relationship in which, in which we have with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us because in our humanity, we are weak. And the point that Paul is making by bringing the image of our weakness and the help of the Holy Spirit is that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But listen, folks, we just have too many Christians trying to live out the Christian life in their own humanity, in their own strength, and from a place of inability and when we operate out of our humanity, we find ourselves frustrated and angered and discouraged. And honestly, we feel like we've been lied to. Like, hey, Jesus, the life that you promised me, it doesn't seem to be the life that I'm living now. But God's not the problem. God's not the one who like, he, he, you know, have you seen that, that commercial of the guy who has like a dollar on the end of, of his fishing rod? He's like, almost got it. Almost, just a little more. No, God is not holding out on you. The discrepancy between the life that God desires for us and the life that we're living is because we're not living dependent on the Holy Spirit. You see, every single day comes with its own set of challenges and we think that what God wants for us is to kind of figure it out on our own. There's that stupid phrase, God only helps those who, who what? Who help themselves. That's found in the book of things the Bible never said. And the reason why God helps us is precisely because we cannot help ourselves. 
And we, then we trick ourselves into thinking that suddenly the game has changed. We get saved and now we only need God's help from time to time. But no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, whether it's been a day or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, no matter how long you have known Jesus, you will never outgrow your daily need for his help through the spirit. Why? Because your flesh, your humanity is always weak. So what must we do? We must depend on the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. That sin that you have that rears its head and you want desperately to be set free from it, you need the Holy Spirit. That interpersonal relationship that you have no idea how to navigate, you need the Holy Spirit. To love your parents well, you need the Holy Spirit. Listen, to experience the love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that God desires for his children, you need the Holy Spirit. Listen, I, I discovered recently that, that, uh, this man named E.M. Bounds. Uh, this book is about 50 bucks because it's like six, pa- six books in one. So it's like five, 600 pages. But it's, it's, it is by far my favorite book that I've ever read on prayer. And this is what he writes. Uh, I'm just telling you this because I hope you'll buy it or at least buy one of them. There's eight to select from. Uh, but here's what E.M. Bounds writes about the Christian life in the spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit is the enabling agent in God's new dispensation of doing. As the pilot takes his stand at the wheel to guide the vessel, so the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in the heart to guide and empower for all, his, all its efforts. The Holy Spirit executes the whole gospel through the man by his presence and control of the spirit of the man. In the execution of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, in its general and more comprehensive operation, or in its minute and personal application, what he's just saying in all things pertaining to life, the Holy Spirit is the one efficient agent, absolute and indispensable. If you don't know what that word means, it means you can't do it without him. The gospel cannot be executed by the Holy Spirit. Are we getting it yet? But by the Holy Spirit. Woof. Y'all paying attention. Let's go. <laughs> Testing you. We must depend on the help that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And before I continue, I cannot in good conscience move on to this next section without talking to those of you who are not following Jesus. You, I, I make no assumptions on any given Thursday that every person that walks in this space is a follower of Jesus. And I'm not gonna single you out. I'm like, I know it's you. No, no, I just wanna just talk with you for a moment. You know what burdens you carry into this space. You know what it is like to reach the end of yourself and perhaps you are already there. But would you like to experience rest and peace and freedom? Would you like to carry a hope that no person, place, or thing, or circumstance could ever take from you? The help from the Holy Spirit, listen, listen clearly, is only given to children of God, but that's being offered to you tonight. Jesus says very clearly, come to me, those of you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And to come to Jesus means to place your faith in him and to surrender your life to him alone. Then you too will forever be able to say, in my weakness, the Holy Spirit helps me. 
Paul then continues here. Let's read the rest of verse 26. <clears throat> for we do not know what to pray for, uh, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, Paul continues by giving a specific and, and practical example of an area where we need the help of the Holy Spirit, which is great for our sermon series. What is that area? Prayer. Thank you. Just checking in. And so Paul says that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And as you read that upon face value, you're like, oh, I've got a list. I know what to pray for. And it begins today. And I, I listen, I've got a whole list of what I need from God. But beyond that, if you were here during the first two weeks of our series, you'd remember that we went over the Lord's prayer. You know, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Yeah, the secret place. And the early church recited the Lord's prayer and used it as a template for their own prayers because they knew that these were the kinds of things that Christians ought to pray for. So what, what does Paul mean when he says that we don't know what to pray for? Because clearly the scriptures tell us what to pray for. You see, remember, Paul is talking about our prayer in the context of our weakness, our limitation as humans. You see, we are limited in our experience with prayer, in our willingness to pray, in our knowledge of what to pray for in any given circumstance. New Testament scholars generally agree that Paul's words here mean that we are weak in prayer because we don't always know what to pray for according to God's will. Now, we experience this all the time, okay? I'm just gonna give you an example. Uh, the situation in Gaza, whether you're pro-Israel or pro-Palestine, it's not about to be political, it's just simple. What do you pray for? If you're pro-Israel, when you say, God, would you care for Israel? What are you really asking for? Are you asking for all of Israel to turn to Jesus? Are you asking for, uh, are you asking for, uh, for, for, uh, for God to decimate all of Palestine or decimate all the Palestinians? Surely not. Like you're not that terrible. God just killed the terrorists. Like, like what are you really asking for? Vice versa. If you're pro-Palestine, whether like that, whatever, you're asking for the same. What, what are you asking for? The reality is you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what to pray for. All you know is that there's a need out in Gaza and you have zero clue what to ask for. Now, what about when it happens to your own life? I can imagine that there are some of us who are facing difficulties or just so confused with our circumstances that we find ourselves speechless. Or maybe you've been facing something so painful for so long that you're just not sure what to ask God anymore. This past Sunday, I had a couple come up to me on the prayer wall and she's volunteering and I've seen her before and I've seen her around and she came up to me as like, hey, I'd love prayer for healing. And I was like, I'm your guy, like, let's go. I'd love to, to pray for healing. And but usually before I do that, I ask for some details, what exactly specific, you know, specific, what her life has been, just, just to get a full picture of it. And, and, and the story that she told me was, listen, I, 20 years ago, I got diagnosed with, a, with a, a muscle disorder disease, a rare one that no one knows why, no one can speak to. And in the beginning, it wasn't that bad. But over the course of 20 years, I now am in so much pain and have no control over my neck that I can't even hold my neck up anymore. I have, and she literally holds her hand like this because she can't hold her head up. And, and, and as she's saying this to me, like I, I can tell she believes in Jesus. 
and believes that he will care for her, but she's in so much pain. And now she's finishing her story. She just looks at me and says, listen, I believe Jesus will care for me, but I'm just not sure what to pray for anymore. And this passage came to mind. You see, how does the Holy Spirit help us in our weak moments of prayer? How does the Holy Spirit help us when we don't have words anymore to capture our needs and our wants? It says here, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Now, if you were here with us last week, uh, Kevin Dunn, our pastor of biblical formation, was talking about the intercession of Jesus for believers. And a similar image is being used here by Paul. A Scottish pastor and theologian, John Murray, writes this. He writes that the children of God have two intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven. And the Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater, or if you're from the Midwest, theater of their own hearts. I'll never know why people say theater, but it's theater, clearly. Now, Murray's words beautifully capture the power in this verse. You see, Paul is stating that the Holy Spirit is our attorney. That's what it means for the Spirit to be our intercessor. It's one who goes on the behalf of. But you see, the Spirit is more than just a good-natured public defender who has just good intentions. He's more than a hotshot attorney who's never lost a case. The Spirit is the one who is in our hearts, which means this, that he knows exactly what burdens you. He knows exactly the pain that you carry right now. He knows what you're trying to articulate in your suffering, even when you don't even have the words and categories to describe it anymore. He knows what's happening in the deepest crevices of your heart, and he knows it and identifies with you. This is what it means when Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. As the Spirit identifies with your pain and circumstances, what he does is he wraps himself around you because he is the comforter and he begins not just to pray for you, but he prays with you. He begins to pray the prayer that you need prayed for you. He stands in the gap. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. And all too often, we, what, we, what we do is we pray with this false confidence, thinking that we know what to ask God for, and we know what he needs to do in our lives for it to be better. But to be honest, in my own life experience, I know that if God had answered yes to every single prayer I've ever had, my life would be in shambles because I don't know what's best for myself. But the Spirit of God knows what to pray for us. And so plainly, this means that the Spirit, what he does, he takes our weak, incomplete, incompetent, and imposterous prayers, and you know what he does with it? He infuses it with his intercessory prayer, resulting in one beautiful thing, perfect Prayers. I love what J.I. Packer writes. He says this most simply. God fixes our prayers on the way up. And this is how the Holy Spirit begins to help us in our prayer life. The Spirit perfects our imperfect prayers, our limited prayers. See, the prayer of the Holy Spirit is meant to encourage us to keep praying. Praying. 
The Spirit's participation in our prayers is not some like get out of jail card. It doesn't negate our efforts or activity, but rather it's to give us further confidence in our prayers. Listen, there are some of you tonight who are new to prayer or considering praying for the first time or maybe taking prayer seriously for the first time. And listen, knowing that the Spirit perfects our imperfect prayers means go and pray and don't feel like you're gonna mess it up. You can't. He fixes it up on the he fixes your prayers on the way up. You can pray with confidence that the Spirit can take your imperfect prayers and make them perfect. That he can take your amateur prayers and give it the excellence of someone who's been praying for decades. And now there are some of you who've been praying for a long time and you feel like you've got a good grasp on prayer, but you've been praying too safely. I would also encourage you to keep praying, but when you pray, pray boldly. The size of our prayers should match the size of our God. So may we pray boldly, trusting that the Spirit knows what we need and would fill in the gap. So the Spirit helps us by praying with us, but the Spirit also is praying for us. Look what he says here in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul continues this image of the courtroom because he says again in verse 27 that the Spirit intercedes for us. Now the Spirit prays for us, perfecting our prayers, but Paul's focus here in this verse is that the Spirit prays for us. So the Spirit is our intercessor, our attorney. He goes to the Father on our behalf. He's asking something from God the Father for us on our behalf. The question is, what is the Spirit praying for us? Well, Paul describes the relationship between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You see, when he says, when he says, he, right, look, look at verse 27, and he who searches hearts. Who is he who searches hearts? It's God the Father. That phrase is an Old Testament way of referring to God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God says this about himself. Listen, the Lord sees not, man, not as man sees. For the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Paul says, listen, God the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. A better way of putting it is that the Father knows the mindset or the intention of the Holy Spirit. And verse 27 says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints, aka disciples of Jesus, children of God, according to the will of God. So in every circumstance, in every occasion, Paul gives us a general overview of what the Spirit is praying for you and me. The umbrella under which every request the Spirit makes is under this umbrella, God's will. So here's what you need to know. There is nothing that the Holy Spirit prays for you that, I want to make this phrase right. There is nothing that the Holy Spirit desires for you and prays for you that also isn't the desire of the Father for you. So that's what the Holy Spirit is praying for. He prays what the Father wants for you and what the Father wants for you is his will. Okay, great, not, not, okay. But what is the will of God? Might be a next question you might ask. Because if Paul, is try, listen, if Paul is trying to comfort me in my weakness, I'm struggling in my limitation as a human, and he says, the Spirit's got you, man. He's praying the will of God for you. I'm like, okay. What does that mean? How is that supposed to help me and aid me in my moments of weakness? What is the will of God? 
Okay, I want to take us to Ephesians chapter four. I don't think I have it, do I? Nope, okay, I'm gonna, it's okay. I'm gonna read it for us. It's also good for while you have your own Bibles, but here we go, yeah. No shade. <clears throat> and now Ephesians chapter four, just a few, few pages after Romans, he gives a glimpse of what God desires for us. Just like Romans, Paul is also the author of Ephesians. He's writing it to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesians really is like the condensed version of Romans. And within the pages of Ephesians, Paul concisely unpacks the gospel and its implications. So here, verse, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 through 24. Uh, wow, I've lost my place already. Here we go. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or non-Jews, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. And they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Meaning that's not what you do now. Ooh, excuse me. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, this is what is expected, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is God's will for us? that we would not live the old life of death and destruction. That was our portion before coming to Jesus, but that instead we would put on the new self. See, God's will for you and for me is for us to live like Jesus and that every spiritual blessing would be given to you and to me as children of God and that we would have the power and capacity necessary to walk in the newness of life. That is what he wants for you. And if we take all of that, okay, and put it back into the context of the passage in Romans, this means this, that the spirit of God, right? He looks at you, he looks at me as like, bro, you are weak. And he sees your pain and he sees your groaning and he knows what the father wants for you is only for your good. So what he begins to do is pray for you to be able to withstand the ultimate, uh, to withstand the brokenness of this life and for you to flourish in a world of death. Ultimately, the Spirit is praying for your empowerment to live like Jesus and to pray like Jesus. This is what he's interceding for you for. But it does not stop there. There's a hidden gem at the end of verse 27. It says that the Spirit prays according to whom? To God's will. This means that every request that the Spirit makes on our behalf is granted. How do I know that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. But not only does he hear us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. In other words, any prayer that is in accordance to God's will is always met with a yes. Who prays according to the will of God? Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit praying for you? For you to have the power and ability to live and live like Jesus, meaning what? It's a sure thing. 
It's not a question. Can I live like Jesus? Can I be like Jesus? Does Jesus, will, will God let me be like Jesus? Yes! <laughs> he does want you to be like Jesus. He's made the way for you to be like Jesus. He put you in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live and pray like Jesus. I just want to make this super clear. If you have not gotten up to this point, while we are weak in our humanity, we are strong in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, While we are weak in our humanity, we are strong in the Holy Spirit. And to know that we are given the power to live like Jesus must mean that something will change about the content of our prayers. Because what kind of prayers do you think Jesus prays? He prays kingdom prayers. Earth-shattering and world-changing prayers. It's the prayers we see Jesus pray and the prayers we see the New Testament pray in the book of Acts and all the rest of the New Testament. We can pray prayers like asking God for his will and to be fruitful in ministry and to be strengthened by intimacy with him. We can pray unity for the church. We can pray that the word of God will increase its influence in the city of Orlando and release his power in it. And you know what he will do? He will do it because it's his will. That's powerful stuff. Do your prayers look like that? If not, they can. Again, E.M. Bound writes this. Would we pray efficiently and mightily? Then the Holy Spirit must work in us efficiently and mightily but we know that he is working in us efficiently and mightily, so therefore, we should pray mightily. See, what Paul is intending for us to see tonight is how utterly dependent we are upon the Holy Spirit. That in our humanity, we are so weak and that this weakness extends into our prayer life. You see, we cannot even do the simple act of prayer without the help of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit helps us in our Christian walk and helps, and helps make our weak prayers strong. The point of tonight's passage is this, that our prayer life is dependent completely on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this reality has the power to change how we view prayer. Sometimes we feel like God asks things of us that are impossible, like prayer. For some of us, it can feel impossible. And we've already seen over the last few weeks that God desires for us to pray. But if we try to pray for anything longer than a minute, you know it's kind of difficult. And the bulk of that difficulty, I think, is that we, we believe and think that our spiritual life is dependent on us. But how much of our prayer life and how much of our experience in prayer would change if we recognize that the Spirit of God in all his glory and power and majesty is working alongside us and saying, I will make sure you have everything you need to do what God has asked of you. Would you not pray more boldly? Would we not pray with more excitement? Perhaps we would stop avoiding prayer and we would stop feeling guilty because we feel like we aren't doing it right. Instead, we would know that we are filled with the power of the Spirit, so much so that we have no choice but to pray. But as long as you and I continue to rely on ourselves, none of us will become people of prayer. But let me remind you that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you in fullness. So you have all that you need to live like Jesus and pray like Jesus. Thanks, David.
Now, before I, I finish, I, as I was in the back praying before, I just, usually I finish with the time of application, how do we apply this to our lives? But this is a separate note. There's some invitations I felt led to make. There are some people here who God is telling you and has been telling you that you need to call out to him tonight. And he wants to meet you in your weakness and he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. There are those of you who do not pray and refuse to pray because you don't believe either he is real and if you do believe he's real, you don't think he's all that powerful and God is saying, call out to me and I'll show you how powerful I am. I'll show you how real I am. And there are others of us who have refused to pray because they think it accomplishes nothing and the spirit is prodding at your heart to unburden you by pointing you to Jesus, the one who bears our burdens. Now I'll give my regular application. What does it look like to become dependent on the Holy Spirit in our prayer life? Here are some things I hope that you can begin to practice as you engage prayer. First, before you jump into prayer, I always encourage anyone, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your space and into your time of prayer. It can be as simple as this. Holy Spirit, come. The Spirit is a person, so you can talk to him just as you would any of us. Listen, you need him and you need his power, so invite him into that time of prayer. You see, prayer is a time of communion with the Father and time to pray for the things that the Father desires. But make no mistake, distractions both from life and from Satan will arise. So we want the Holy Spirit present with us to empower us and aid us in prayer. Ask the Spirit to dispel anything in your area that is not of him so you would have time with your heavenly Father. Second, seek the Holy Spirit. I can't encourage you, and I can't call you that any more than I already have, but E.M. Bounds will. What's this last one? <laughs> we urge the seeking of the Holy Spirit. We need him, and we need to stir ourselves up to seek him. The measure we receive of him will be gauged by the fervor of faith and prayer with which we seek him. Our ability to work for God and to pray to God and live for God and affect others for God will be dependent on the measure of the Holy Spirit received by us, dwelling in us, and working through us. Seek the Spirit. And then finally, ask the Father to give you the grace necessary to pray like Jesus. It's simple as this. And it, and it can seem like arrogant and it's not. It's like, listen, God wants you to pray. So he's gonna give you what you need. So just ask for it. God, if you want me to pray, give me the grace to pray. Father, teach me to pray. Give me what I need to pray. And he will do so. So may we move from tonight more encouraged and more excited to practice prayer. I truly hope that as the children of God, we would rely less on ourselves and move to a place of full surrender where we would experience the full provision of God and live the life of prayer that Jesus had. A life of prayer that is marked continually by walking with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this truth for the power, for the glory, for the honor that you literally pour over your children. That you are the kind of God that is not selfish. You're the kind of God who bestows so much of who he is to your children. That we don't, we don't have to question whether or not you will show up. We don't have to question whether what, what we do and do not have in you. God, we have you in fullness. We have your power at our disposal because you desire and you know we need it. You see us in our weakness. God, we, Holy Spirit, we praise you. 
If we would just take a moment, Holy Spirit, to acknowledge that you are in the room, that we would say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us your power, for empowering us to live like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we desire you to be here in this space. Thank you that you see us in our weakness and you carry us, that you don't shame us and guilt us, but you know that we cannot help ourselves, so you help us in all our weakness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continually pour more of who you are. I would ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit even right now as we pray, that we will be able to respond in prayer, that our worship would be spirit-filled, that our prayers would be spirit-filled, that our conversations tonight would be spirit-filled, that, that, that we would play ping-pong spirit-filled, that, that, that we would play spike ball uh, uh, spirit-filled, that God, that we would not live a moment that is not full of your spirit. We ask that because we need it. There is nothing greater than the presence and the power of your spirit in our life because in, in receiving your power and your presence, we experience Jesus. That's what we want. We want Jesus. We want Jesus, Holy Spirit. Jesus says that you will guide us and point us always to Jesus. So even now, guide us to Jesus. I pray, Lord, over this community right now that you would just cause your spirit to fill your children to the brim, that any burdens they feel will be lightened, that any sadness and mourning would turn into joy. Fill them. God, I pray if there's any one of us who have not, chose, have not yet chosen to follow after you, that you would, through your power of the Spirit, convict them. Show them the beauty of the other side, the beauty of the kingdom of God the lavishing glory, the lavishing love, and mercy and grace that only can come to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. Help this young adult community fulfill the words of Galatians, the words of Jesus through, the, through, the, through Paul's writings. Let this be a ministry, may this be a community, may these be sons and daughters that walk closely in step with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.